Blog Talk Radio. show we have for you today coming to you live from the classic city Athens Georgia this is Arthur Balin and coming to you from the great west coast of the United States of America the immortal Patrick Toppin how are we doing folks we're doing great Patrick how are you Oh, good. All right. I was like, shit, am I, uh, am I <laughs> All right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's another, I guess you can call it a win. Another good week for Boston College, right? Um, coming off a nice, I like what, uh, I like what some people have been calling it called a bye week, a B-U-Y week, um, where, you know, you pay a FCS team five hundred thousand to a million dollars to just come to your stadium and you beat the crap out of them for two hours and then you go your separate ways. Um, and BC did just that over the weekend, right? Dominated Richmond, beat them forty-five to thirteen, covered a pretty impressive uh, thirty point thirty-one point spread. Um, like that, like pretty well dominated this game, right? Outgained them five, outgained the Spiders. 517 yards to 364 at nearly 40 minutes time um, looked more or less good like it was never in doubt it was never like oh my god BC could lose this game um, yeah just a, like a solid win um, which I guess Arthur do you have any opening thoughts I have a few but I'll want to hear yours first well, uh, before we get into our, my opening thoughts, just a reminder, you can call in and talk to us about the game. Our number is 646-200-0446. Again, 646-200-0446. Um, one thing about the game is I, I personally um, don't have a ton of patience for buy games. Um, because, number one, I don't think there's a ton that can be gleaned from them. Um, and, and number two, I, I just think that, that it's a really kind of uh, frustrating and um, angering uh, part of how you know the world of uh, uh, college football works. What I will say, um, number one, um, BC um, did what I think they were supposed to do in this game, and that is pretty much dominate Richmond until um, they got to the point where they they were sort of taking the gas or the foot off the gas a little bit. Um, I um, we certainly got to see a lot of um, uh, the starters, possibly more than I think I personally would have liked to. Um, but you know, at, at, at the end of the day, they they did what they had to do against uh, a different team that um, you know was 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 there um, and you know charitably um, they're there. And there really isn't, um, in my opinion, I don't think there's a ton you necessarily glean from that game. Um, I mean, there there are some things, and we'll, we'll definitely get into it here. But um, you know, one of the frustrating things about a, a buy game is that you know a lot, you you can you can look at the game and you can look at the team that's playing in it and look at what the team does. But the issue is like it's it, Richmond is not going to be at the level of competition that even Kansas is going to be next week. Although th- maybe that's debatable. Um, and we can certainly, we'll, we'll talk about Kansas in a little bit. Um, but I don't know, Patrick, my games are kind of the bane of my ex- existence. I'm not, I don't love them. Um, I'm not going to be honest. Yeah, they're boring. I mean, I watched, I listened to part of it on the radio, watched part of it on my phone, watched part of it through highlight, like extended highlights on youtube afterwards um i agree with you i don't think there's a ton um 
you can glean from it. Like my offensive notes are pretty much like Anthony Brown continues to show improvement question mark because I mean, he did, you know, put up a solid stat line for 14, 163 yards, like 12 yards per attempt, um, which is fantastic. Um, the completion set percentage is not super high, but it shows, a, you know, taking shots down the field, but no turnovers, I think is good. AJ Dillon remains the star. Um, but I did actually, I did really enjoy watching uh, David Bailey play. Uh, I think he put together a fantastic game on some only 13 carries, ended up with almost 100 yards. Looks like a very capable backup, so that I'm not as terrified in the event that something were sideline AJ Dillon for a game or two. I am no longer like, oh my god, the the wheels would fall off the wagon. Um, so I thought that was, you know, I can kind of glean that, but you also can't really glean too much because David Bailey is going up against mostly guys who are significantly smaller than the ACC linebackers, and even the can even the Kansas linebackers will be playing in a week and in a few weeks. Um, the only thing that I got out of this is that Zay Flowers, I have this here, Zay Flowers is the most exciting freshman in recent history aside from A.J. Dillon. Um, I think he does have game-changing speed, and I was just really, really impressed um, with pretty much everything that he's done, not just this week, but in the past two weeks. I think he's put together about as spectacular a start as one could ask for from any freshman. Um, especially one is a BC recruit, um, some BC adjusted expectations. So that was all basically offense checked all the boxes. No one got hurt. That was a big thing. No changes in the depth chart this week. All good there. What I will. Yeah, say- I, I just to touch on um, uh, the, the David Bailey uh, comment for a second. One thing I like about seeing a guy like David Bailey getting carries and seeing some time. Is like sort of touching your point uh, in case AJ Dillon goes down, but even if he doesn't go down, um, sort of having a guy like David Bailey sort of uh, in your two deep, um, so like AJ Dillon can take some plays off and um, sort of like split the carry, not necessarily split the carries, but like sort of take some of the carries away from AJ Dillon. I think that would do well for the team. The issue is like I think a lot of the problems that AJ Dillon has kind of run into in past seasons is that he's been getting the lion's share of carries. And like that wears a, a running back down. So when you, if you have a, a, a capable uh, guy who may, it obviously isn't at the level of AJ Dillon, but can certainly act as, as a serviceable serviceable backup. Um, like this guy would be starting, at least in my experience with BC, David Bailey would be the starting running back in any of the years that AJ Dillon wasn't there. Right, so like you, you you have a capable backup um, sort of in your two deep, so you, you you can definitely split the carries, and I think taking the load off AJ Dillon um, will play it will end up being something that's going to be really good for everybody involved, uh, especially and including AJ Dillon. Um, Zay Flowers, um, let me tell you something. Uh, I, I I am so excited about that kid. Um, he has been absolutely phenomenal. I'm a little bit concerned about if he's going to be able to sort of keep this up um, once more and more tape comes out on him. Um, but let me tell you something. He, he, he is explosive. He's a game changer. I, I love everything about him. I like it because I think ultimately at some level, speed is always an asset that will help you in any game and any player. Um, I think, and especially at the college level, when there's such speed differentials between some offensive and defensive players having a guy that can stretch the field is someone who can stretch the field and be a threat because BC's had some guys like that in the past couple of years who could stretch the field but ne- weren't necessarily actual threats in my opinion who sort of like might be fast but we all know we're not going to throw him the ball because I can't get separation he's looked pretty good I um, think that he's going to be a long-term contributor on this team. And that is a lot more than we can say about most freshmen in most schools. I will say, and to switch this sort of like, you say that you can't take anything from these sort of FCS buy games. I think that you can take some things away. And that is that this secondary is going to continue to give me, and I think many viewers, heart attacks all year long. There were 
Like the defense, no, no, no. defense played well. Defense did their job. Um, held Richmond to like 5.7 yards per play. Two picks, got another turnover. Um, D-line and linebacking core looked good. Tack- racked up like 13 tackles for a loss, which is phenomenal. Um, but this secondary is just so young, and I think they showed it a few times on Saturday. I think the defense definitely had some trouble against the run-pass option. I don't think anybody can really dispute that. Um, but, you know, at, at least at least the problem got exposed. Uh, and you would think that that's something they can work on in practice if necessary. Yeah, and it, yeah, because like a lot of the issues I saw were like, yeah, it was like it was missing your reads. Um, there were some matchup issues that I thought, uh, like pattern matching that I didn't think worked super well for BC, where like a linebacker ended up on a wide receiver, and that's a mismatch. Like on the um, touchdown for Richmond, that was the issue, was that it was a, a linebacker ended up on a wide receiver and just got burned, because that's just what happens at almost any level if you get a mismatch. I think you can also look at it and sort of say, I think there were a few issues where there were some pretty long runs where I thought the secondary should have taken better angles, which are all things that come with time and playing experience and can all be solved by coaching. Those aren't necessarily huge issues that are unfixable by the time that more talented teams come along. Um, All in all, solid win for BC. I have no, I have a lot of comments. It's almost like a, it's almost like just a regular bye week. Um, there's not much. Yeah, I I just uh, <laughs> um, I I just I, I I want to have more to say about it, but I just don't. It kind of. I mean, what what else we said that we haven't said already? I mean, at this point, it's 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 a game that ultimately is a, is a game that BC is expected to win. I guess there's something to be said about BC not becoming um, one of those um, teams that loses the bye game, which, um, you know, it has certainly happened um, next opponents. Um, um, a good example of it, which, again, we'll, we'll get into in a second. But BC beat the FBS team. Um, it's great. It's wonderful. Um, it was a game that was honestly um, – probably could have had some more, had done something else with your Saturday and probably would have had just as much fun. Uh, but it went to win. mind moving. So like, yeah, exactly. Like there's plenty of things you can not worry about. I will say this Richmond team, I think I, as you like heard the broadcast and saw that, um, I know this is a lot of sort of FBS sort of North, there was like some Northwestern and some Georgia tech sort of level, teams that were transferred uh, to Richmond. So I think there is actual some, there is actually some talent on that team. So I think it's a little bit better. And I think this Richmond team is better than the one that went four and eight last year, four and seven. Um, Explain that one to me. Uh, So I, I don't think there's a whole lot you can take away from this game. It's not like a measuring stick. Like if BC had played, North Dakota or South Dakota State, which I believe it's currently like number one and number two and mostly projected to go to the FCS National Championship this year, that is like a team that if you beat them, you've earned that win. Or, you know, the way App State used to be, uh, like when they beat Michigan. Like those are those are solid and talented teams. This this, this is a a non-story, basically, in my opinion. Yep, it's good that BC won. Um, and we would be more upset if BC. It, it, it'd be. It's good that BC won. Um, but I, like, I, let's, let me put it this way: It's good that BC won. It's great they didn't lose. And it's especially great that no one got injured. I think that's always the big thing: is you hate to see a guy go down, and what ultimately ends up usually being a relatively meaningless blowout. BC will be at full strength for Kansas this weekend. Is just about as good as you could ask for. Yeah, I mean, the depth chart not being affected at all is great. Um, that's, that's, that's certainly better than, than anything you can really ask for. So with that, I think it's time that we uh, 
move on to Boston College's next game. Um, they will be hosting the Kansas Jayhawks this weekend. Um, 7.30 on a Friday night game. Should be a lot of fun. Um, I will actually be in Boston for this game, so I'm pretty excited. I'll be in probably a student section with all my uh, recently graduated friends. So come find me. Um, I'll be tailgate hopping. If you want to invite me to tailgate, let me leave a, leave a comment and uh, I'll show up and you can meet me in real life and I'll drink your beer and eat your food. Um, but let's, let's get a little previewing of Kansas. Cause I feel like if you as a BC fan have thought the last couple of years have been bad, it could watching this reminded me. That it, it gets worse. Let me, let me, let me put this way. In the last 10 years, Kansas is 2-51 away from Lawrence and 1-49 as an away underdog. They are 24-98 and overall away from home. No, actually, no, that's overall. Um, and their average margin of defeat in games where they are the underdog are 27 points like this kansas team is not bad they are atrocious pick six previews compared them to an fcs team uh in aj black and a tweet to aj black like this is a bad bad and this year is no difference yeah they have a new coach yeah it's less miles but it's like the offense this year has two touchdowns two offensive touchdowns against the 120th and 148th ranked Sagarin teams. And they have turned the ball over seven times in those games. This team is not good. And that's why BC is predicted to win by a comfortable 21 points. Yeah, I certainly can't wait until um, we get deeper into the season when BC is like 6-0 and or something going into – the meat of the ACC schedule and um, BC Athletics coming out and being like, oh, and, you know, BC has played two Power Five teams um, and beaten them, and like no other team can say that. Well, you know what, <laughs> um, Kansas and uh, Rutgers, uh, really the nicest thing you could say about them is really that they're Power Five teams, and that there's not a whole lot else that you can say that's that's nice about them. Uh, Kansas, especially, um, you know, Kansas is just a team. Um, that um, you know, their their most their most notable moment was when you know uh, they and Baker Mayfield got mixed up um, a couple of years ago, um, and Baker Mayfield did that thing. That's 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 the most relevant thing Kansas football has done in the past decade. Um, they also beat Texas a few years ago, um, I think at home or at Texas, which is like their one one of their few conference wins in the last two or three. Years. Was that last year? That that was recent. It is recent. It's in the last two years. It's still a relevant meme in college football. But, so I think it was last year. But this Kansas team is not good. Um, they are an improvement over Richmond, but Virginia Tech is a much, much better team. Um, like, it is – Without, I'll go into a scouting report a little bit more in a second, but it is tough to see them – winning this game. Yeah, like they have won one, two, three, four, four games in the previous two seasons combined. So they beat Texas in 2016-2017. That was one of two wins that year for Kansas. Yes, the other one being over FCS Rhode Island. Other losses included such powerhouses as Ohio and Memphis. Memphis, who they got absolutely blasted by, by the way. And of course, they have such marquee wins as Southeast Missouri State in 2017, as well as Central Michigan and Rutgers in 2018. This is a bad team. Um, Looking at them just based on the small amount of film and things that I've watched, uh, QB Carter Stanley, senior not good. 
He's basically, there's one thing he's good at. He's pretty good at manipulating the pocket. He's really good at sort of stepping up to avoid pressure. Um, but that doesn't matter because he then proceeds to throw really bad picks. Against Coastal Carolina, uh, he's at this beautiful thing where, you know, the pressure's all around him. He steps up. There's open field in front of him. He takes a heave, and he way under throws, and it's picked off in the end zone. Um, then there was another one that just, like, the ball should not have been thrown. There were three guys and one receiver in the area. It was just horrendous. Um, He's had three fumbles in the last two games. Like a dude's turnover machine. I'd expect the BC defense to just feast on him all day. The offensive line is like not there. And part of the reason it's not there is because they've had a couple injuries along the line. They've got like a, I think it's a grad transfer left tackle. And then they had their center from last year playing right tackle because they had a new center. And then that current center got injured, so they shifted the right tackle into that. So they, now they have a, they're breaking in two new tackles. They've got an experienced center, and that's basically it. So not looking good for them. In that so case. Kansas um, is um, bordered in Sagarin rankings by Purdue and Montana. Um, Purdue obviously is another is a co-power five, but certainly not the same level of team that BC faced recently. Um, but Montana, um, not exactly breaking down the doors uh, out here. Um, so Montana, like a middling G five team, or are they FCS? I believe they're FCS. So, so to give you oh, an idea, tough. Kansas ranked 111th in Sagarin rankings. Richmond's ranked 179th. So, yeah, so this game will probably be closer than the Richmond game, but probably not that much. Um, yeah, like the money's pouring in on BC. Um, what I will say is that, so they do have one really good player, and that's Puka Williams. Um, Puka Williams Jr., true sophomore running back, sat out the first game that Kansas won against Indiana State because he has, he was suspended by the team for – misconduct reasons. I think it was something to do with beating somebody up in the offseason. But he's also last year, and this is important, because I do think if there's a guy who's going to beat BC, it's going to be him, is that he was the Big 12 Offensive Freshman of the Year in 2018, as well as a All-Big 12 first-team running back and kick returner. Averaged about seven yards per carry, almost 1,200 yards. He's really fast. He's not a big guy. He's about 5'9", 170, so he's pretty he's pretty small, pretty slight. But this dude runs like a 4'340", and is amongst the faster players that I think BC will have faced this year. Probably the fastest player BC's faced this year. And I do have concerns that if he manages to, if he can break outside of the tackles or hit that second hit the second level and get into the secondary, it's going to be really bad for BC. Because to me, that's and that's the only way I can see Kansas playing. Um, especially for a team that sort of seemed to miss a lot of tackling angles and pursuit angles. This last Saturday, BC secondary will have to make sure that he doesn't break contain. And that also falls on the defensive line, who I think is going to manhandle the Kansas O-line. And I think BC's offense will not struggle against Kansas. Kansas has pretty good overall like defensive stats in terms of like overall things, but it's mostly because teams just sort of run it down their throat and don't allow that many possessions. Um, and they've also placed space to pretty, pretty bad offenses in coastal Carolina and Indiana state. So. Yeah. Let's not get carried away on that one. I mean, they're certainly not, they certainly haven't faced like the top tier competition that uh, I think we would want, but. I mean, I, I think your point about Herbert is, is solid. Um, or uh, well, I think your point about Puka Williams is good, but I think Khalil uh, Herbert's also a, definitely a threat as well. They're both actually, so they're both, and that's the thing I have it on here. Um, Kansas's one score in the Coastal Carolina game was just a beautifully drawn up play where they faked the handoff to Puka Williams Jr. and then pitch it to Herbert or. Faked it right, pitched it left, and everyone thought it was going to Williams Jr. And Herbert is sort of the same mold as Puka Williams. He's small and fast and elusive, and he just ran untouched for a 41-yard touchdown. Um, I will say, 
Kansas has zero red zone drives this year. Like, not like they're 0 for blank in the red zone. They have not been in the red zone this year. Um, I lie. They've been in the red zone. Sorry, I guess they've only been in the red zone once against uh, Indiana State, who's a FCS team, um, and they converted. It was not – they are – not a good offense. I think the BCD line and linebackers are going to feast. They're going to force Carter Stanley or whoever plays. Because Les Miles also said after the game that he was going to evaluate all of his quarterback options. Um, whoever plays quarterback. Basically, I have it written down here. Kansas, they want to win. Leftists get great push on their offensive line. That allows running backs to hit that second level. Turn on the burners. Say goodbye. And their quarterback... Les Miles will have to pull a Lamar Jackson-esque, like a diet Lamar Jackson, out of his ass, and that guy would have to commit zero turnovers, while simultaneously BC would just have to have a case of the drops, the yips, and butterfingers all day. Um, I think that's the only way this BC loses this game. It's going to take a lot Everything would have to go wrong for Boston College. Everything would have to go right for Kansas. I can't really see it happening. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. defensively, like, I think the way you beat BC uh, is that, number one, as an offense, you need to have a strong passing attack because I think you need to beat them in the air because it's, it's very hard to beat them on the ground. Um, and the, uh, the other issue is you kind of need to – Surf contain the passing attack. Can't see Brown make the mistake that he he can theoretically make. Um, but you know, looking at what we've seen so far, um, I don't think that you know. Obviously, you mentioned Kansas's quarterback situation. I don't think Kansas really has the ability necessarily to make BC pay for for mistakes in pass coverage. Um, they certainly don't have, um, I think, the players to do that. And on the flip side, it's been very hard to sort of get Anthony Brown rattled. I mean, the offensive line has been solid. So, I don't know. Like, to me, this seems like a very easy game for BC to win, which means that we'll probably freak out a little bit at some point during the game. But this is this is definitely a game that BC needs to win. Um, they're 92.5% favorites on ESPN. Um, so, uh, to me, like, uh, I, if, if BC is – in a, in a in a competitive game at halftime, I'm I'm going to be a little concerned. I'll, I'll just say that. Even then, I mean, I guess the way I view it is, Les Miles is a very very similar coach to Steve Adazio, um, and that might be heresy, but I think if you put Steve Adazio at LSU and you gave him the facilities and the recruits that Les Miles had sort of at the end of his tenure. Like, they're not – actually, I think, like, Les Miles might be worse at managing a game in-game scenarios than Steve Adazio, um, which for fans of BC, you might be shocked. But, like, Kansas ran out of timeouts with, like, 14 minutes and 30-something seconds left in the fourth quarter against Coastal Carolina. Um, he plays the same – sort of power style, the same sort of power style playbook that he had at LSU without the personnel to run it or the offensive line to run it. It's just, yeah, I don't, I I can't see Kansas winning this one unless they sort of come out, you know, I mean, like to me, like Kansas would have to come out with like a a spread air raid attack because that's what BC would be weak to. And also, I get to, for all the shit we give Steve Adazio, I'll give him credit that he usually – I can't really remember. I'm actually curious. Maybe I'll look this up for next week because I'll be interesting to see how it, this game plays out. I can't remember BC losing a game in which they were favored by a significant, significant amount, like more than three points. Like when team – Steve Adazio wins those games where against inferior competition. And that's unfortunately what this is. Sorry. Sorry, Jayhawks. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's really any other way to say it. So I, I think predictions, uh, I, I really don't think you can pick against BC in this one. Just being yeah, honest. I, I, yeah, I mean, like, it's, I, personally, I think it's a fun matchup. Um, I like don't really sort of like. I don't think they're really going to be uh, much of a match for the BC, like BC's offensive or defensive lines, where they're just more talented. So, oh, here we go. So, what is when did Steve Adazio start coaching? 2013, 2014? 2013. Yeah, so Steve Adazio since... Yeah, Steve Adazio is 27-9 and nine as a favorite and 18-4 and four as a home favorite. Um, when you compare that to Kansas's, you know... One in forty nine is in a way underdog. I'm feeling pretty confident about this one. So, yeah, I I think this I think this is going to be a pretty solid win. Personally, what do I have here? Oh, and I also think the BC is just going to run the ball down their throats. I mean, Coastal Carolina had 185 yards on the ground against them, so it should be fine. Final score, I've got. I have a hard time seeing BC winning by 21, but I also think that feels about right. So I got on here 34 to 14. Um, down for 28 to 7. 28 to 7. I think I think there's a, there's enough youth in the secondary for more than once, but 21 to 7, I could see that one too. I think BC wins by at least double digits. And I don't really see much else happening. Um, so, well, before we get to the question of the night, I mean, do you have anything else for Kansas? Regarding Kansas, no. I mean, I will say, and I think actually, so let's actually, I, I'd like to talk to you about this, because I think it's an interesting question, given that you're looking at Kansas. Kansas is probably the most futile FBS Power Five team in the last decade or so basically since 2007 when they were had one year where they caught lightning in a bottle and then they stopped since then um but as you'll know they are one of like the like capital t-h-e-v blue bloods in college basketball arthur would you rather would you exchange having just the worst football program or basketball program of all time in exchange for a winning of the alternate program and which program would you choose? If that makes sense. Mm, that's, that's a good question. Um, yeah, that's a good question. Um, but it's amazing. Yeah, like, yeah. Is consistently one of the best teams. I think they lost the big 12 last year in basketball for like the first team, first time in like well over a decade. Like they've dominated and they've always been the best team and they simultaneously can pull sort of these one and done recruits and also develop guys over a longer thing. Like they are probably the best and also one of the most storied college basketball programs in the country. But they're yeah, just. Yeah, I so mean, I think it's. I think there, there's a def, definitely um, some merit to having a good football program. Um, what I will say is I think there's uh, more upside to having um, a good basketball program, if that makes sense. Because it, it, unless you're going to be the top four uh, football program in the country as determined by a highly subjective um, system – you know, like I, I, to me, I would rather um, have basketball, a basketball program that can make you know the big dance and a run. Um, so to me, I, I, if I had to sacrifice one for the other, I would prefer to have a basketball program that's solid rather than the football program. You're talking about that, yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. Because once you get to the top, you're sort of talking about. Um all sorts of different issues. I think that, yeah, I, this is also sort of weird. And I'm wondering 
I'm wondering when we're going to start seeing the effects of it at the college administration level, because I think it's well documented that participation rates in football is going down. I think eventually we will reach the point when we don't allow anyone who's not in high school to play football. And I think a lot of schools are going to start getting rid of their football programs as more comes out about the long-term effects of football. And I'm wondering when the administrations of power five teams are going to start being sort of seeing like, you know, maybe there's only like a 20 year life on all the money in college football, start shifting towards college basketball. But like, I don't think I could ever live with having, I don't think I could support a team if Boston College was as bad as Kansas Kansas football had been the last 10 years, like, you really couldn't care, could you? Like, could I you mean, even surely like, you can't. Like, if I was a student and they were that bad, I probably wouldn't buy tickets, like a season ticket or whatever. Even if it was, Or I wouldn't, even if I bought it for the basketball games, I wouldn't go to the football games just to get, watch my team get just blasted by Oklahoma and Texas twice a year. So to me, I think I don't really see like the southeastern schools really move ever moving from football um, because it's just too too institutionalized. But I think what's going to happen, you know, we're, we're kind of in a situation where football has really kind of exploded and become this national phenomenon. Um, so in places where college football probably wouldn't be popular, or, or, or let me put this another way. Alabama, um, Clemson, Ohio State, Georgia, like, like the, 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 the blue blood football programs, have sort of gone from being like state programs that are super duper popular in their state, are very provincial and sort of their fan bases, to becoming these national names where there are fans all over the place, not just alumni and alumni in, in different like cities, but people who have no other connection to the university other than being fans of the football program. Um, what I think was going to happen is a move back to provincial um, college football, if that makes sense. I, I, I think what's going to happen is I think the Northeastern schools are probably going to move away from it and, and at the very least de-emphasize it. I, I can't imagine BC ever totally... Excuse me, I don't think I, I can ever imagine BC ever like totally shattering their football program, but I do think they're going to move to basketball at some point. But yeah, I, mean, I, I think it's really hard to predict. Yeah, it's a, it's a thought experiment. I think it's something that, you know, maybe one day takes into account. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I couldn't, I, I would rather have BC's, I mean, BC's sort of on the bottom end, but like, the hope of one day having a, both a competent, albeit not star-studded, basketball and football program, as opposed to just picking, going on one and going on and on the other. So that's all I have to say. I do have one thing I want to talk about before we get to the question of the day. I'm assuming you saw the news um, about Martin Jarman being on the, um, well, not the short list, but um, in conversation for. Um, the USC job. Um, I was wondering what you had, like what, what you're thinking about that. I think it's hard. I think I understand why they would be interested in him um, because he's a young, energetic guy. I think they've seen, I think the Lynn Swan experiment as USC's athletic director shows a lot of the full, I mean, it's all, it was the most USC hire possible where you hire a guy with no qualifications based exclusively on the name value. The fact that he's a famous alum of your school and he turns out to be super incompetent and you fire him a few years or he leaves a few years later 
after totally wrecking most of your best programs. So Martin Jarvin is kind of the opposite of that. I wonder, I do think USC boosters would have some issues with the fact that I don't think he really has, he has no ties to the school, which is actually a real, I mean, I think as we've seen both in the way that USC operates as well, I like to, as much as I like to make fun of him, as in Operation Varsity Blues, uh, the whole college admissions scandal, like USC really cares about who you know. Um, and everyone I know on the West Coast, if you didn't go to USC, you hate USC. If you don't think USC as like a football cro- program, you hate them as an institution. It's just like a, I morally oppose USC existing because they're just a school for, you know, and a lot of the time it's tongue in cheek when you say, oh, they, you know, it's the university of spoiled children and things like that. And I know some great kids that go to USC, but like there is a little bit of truth in that joke. I don't think Martin has the connections there to probably make it past more than an interview or two. And I think there's probably someone who, when you have USC's pockets, you can get someone with a more proven track record. Yeah, I I think BC was a really good hire. Oh, my God. I think Martin Charman was a good uh, hire for BC when he was hired because he was somebody who could really think outside the box and really kind of breathe a lot of fresh air into BC after um, sort of a a period of unrest on campus. Um, I think that right now, Martin Jarman is probably at least a few years off from being like a legitimate viable candidate for a job like USC. And, And I don't mean that as a knock on Martin Jarman. I happen to think very highly of Martin Jarman. I think people who write for our site probably all have very high opinions of Martin Jarman. But the issue is BC has not been let out of the, the, the cave totally yet. And I think Martin Jarman needs to do that before he gets a look for a job like USC, if that makes any sense. It's, yeah, I don't think he has the proven track record right now. I think USC can literally – I wonder – I do also sometimes wonder, though, if, like, the booster situation at USC where you have so many guys, so many alumni who are so invested in the program with so much money, and you have to play so much politics, if that's especially uninteresting to some or unappealing to some potential athletic directors. Although I'll also admit, I think most athletic directors deal with that to some extent. Um, I mean, actually not even to some extent, that's pretty much the job is massaging all the donors egos until they open up their checkbooks and trying to convince them that they have a way. But I think USC is like, there are some, there are certain donors there who can just, who own it. It's almost, and he actually passed away today, but like, T. Boone Pickens at Oklahoma State. Like, T. Boone Pickens is Oklahoma State. Like, that dude is literally the entire budget of Oklahoma State, and that they have those types of people at USC. Um, so, I don't think he's leaving now. He might leave in a few years if he shows he can do things. Um, you know, hope, I, I like Martin Jarman. I think he's done a lot. Per, I think with relatively limited things. I think he has very limited say over the on-field success of the teams aside from hiring coaches. And I don't think BC was in a position to be firing Jim Christian and Steve Adazio last year, even if you did, or even if you, even if you wanted to. Um, I think he's injected a lot of energy into BC. Yeah. yeah, I don't really understand um, really the criticism of, of um, Martin Jarman, to be sure. Uh, I think he's been really solid for the, for the uh, athletic program. Um, but uh, I, I think the general thing is uh, – I think it's – I think, honestly, everyone should be happy that Martin Jarman's being looked for the, for the position um, because I, I think that means just generally 
Um, it's just a good look for everybody. Um, what I would say is um, I, I just don't think he's there yet. Um, I think I think he's a really solid AD. I'm really happy that he's the AD at my alma mater. I just don't think he's there yet. Yeah, I think and yeah, and I think a lot of the things that he did at BC were I want to call them easy solutions. Um, like he listens to the fans, and I think that's a really important part of being a successful athletic director. Adding alcohol, extending tailgates, getting rid of sesame seed pretzels. Like those are all pretty, they're all good things. I'm glad he took notice of them and I'm glad he changed them, but that's not the type of resume that gets you a job at USC. But who knows? Uh, USC has done lots of shocking, really smart and really dumb things in my lifetime. And they will not surprise me by doing anything here. So. Let's move on to the question of the day. Related. Well, the question of the day is uh, related to Martin Jarman. Uh, this question comes from our editor-in-chief, Laura Barastecki, at Ella Barastecki on Twitter. The question is, what is your favorite thing Jarman has done at BC? I think it's going to sound really cliche. Not cliche. Cliche is the wrong word. It's going to sound really dumb. But I do think it's the alcohol in the stadium. Um, because <laughs> well, and it's not that I think it's the fact that BC, like, there's been this huge sort of shift in the last two years or so of what, or rather, there's been a huge shift in the past couple of years and sort of an increase in schools willing to sell um, alcohol at their stadiums and on campus, which to me is all like, hey. That's really good to hear, and I'm glad BC got sort of on the front end of that as opposed to being sort of what I would almost associate with BC as being like the last phase adopters, if that makes sense. Like, the fact that BC is amongst the first Power Five schools to do this, I don't know if they're amongst the – they were definitely amongst on the earlier side of it. I know that, like, Cal and Ole Miss and all these other schools are adding them now. The fact they were the first ones to do it makes me a lot happier – that we're like, oh, we were first, even if something as dumb as just selling alcohol at your stadium, then like, you know, us being the last holdout because we have neighbors that complain or Father Leahy isn't willing to fill out the permits. So, yeah. Um, I, I, I definitely think the alcohol sales are, I like them a lot. I like the idea of being able to um, drink at PC hockey games. Um I'm probably going to go a different tack just because you came up with the alcohol sales. And um, it, to me, it's not just one thing. Uh, to me, I just kind of like how he's kind of brought um, life back into the fan base. Um, what was that? Oh, that was something on my computer. That was weird. Yeah. Um, go on. Um, I, I, I like the idea that he's kind of brought uh, life back into the fan base. Um, and granted, I think that has a lot to do with sort of the successes on the field more than anything. Um, but I think there is an energy to BC athletics that I don't really remember for like for a while. And to me, that's exciting as an, as an alumnus. I'm I'm excited that there's that there's energy because um, I when there's energy, like only good things are going to happen. So to me, that to me that's something I really like about uh, his tenure here. Yeah. Um... I would say that to do that too, and this is also sort of like a thing like these tailgating hours this year, I think is a huge deal because people at BC have been complaining about that forever about how short the tailgate and how it's sort of like, it's, you know, both students and alumni alike have bitched about the short tailgating timeframes. Um, at least as long as I was at BC, which granted is only past sort of five years. And I presume it was before because it didn't seem like they were like, oh, this year they finally cut off the tailgating hours. So I think adding that is like, these are all things that make people happy and will make people want to come to a game and spend like a day tailgating a BC game as opposed to like, we're going to rush there, we're going to get as drunk as we can in the two and a half hours it took, and then we will go to half the game and then leave. Um, I think it's just all, it's all good stuff. Um, I will say, 
there is one piece of news, and if you're a BC basketball fan, I think it's something that uh, you need to be paying attention to, is that BC got has, has made the top six for two big-time basketball recruits in the last two days. Um, first one is five-star Terrence Clark. Um, he, he announced last week, I think he's announcing this Saturday, whenever the 14th is. Yeah, it'll be this Saturday. He'll announce he's down to, like, Kentucky, Kansas, a bunch of, a bunch of like, really powerful blue blood schools. NBC, who's local, and his fellow Brewster Academy star, DeMar Langford, who's like 86th overall recruit nationally, just announced his top three, which is BC, Texas Tech, and NC State, who a lot of experts consider BC to actually be in the driver's seat for, because Makai Ashton Langford, who is DeMar Langford's brother, transferred from Providence to Boston College this last year and will sit out this upcoming year. Um, and so sort of just keep an eye on that. Two really, really, really big-time recruits who are considering BC, and I think that no matter how Jim Christian performs this year, if he can pull in – well, this would be the best recruiting class probably in BC's history. You could pull two top 100 recruits. Um, would be maybe enough to save his job. I don't know. So, yeah. Um, we can look at that more maybe next week when these guys have actually announced. But, you know, just keep an eye on that if you're a BC Hoops guy. And uh, any luck, we'll have good news for you next week. Well, on that note, I think we're all done for the night. Um, so, once again, thanks for listening to BCR Radio. Uh, we'll be back here next week, uh, probably same time, same place. Um, so make sure to watch all the games this weekend. Have fun doing so. Please be safe and responsible Friday night um, and enjoy uh, the game at Alumni Stadium. For Patrick Toppin on the West Coast, this is Arthur Bailen signing off for the evening. And enjoy the football. And as always, go Eagles. Hope to see you all this Friday. <laughs>